The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. So this week is the start of a new year, right? Start of a new year. 2015 is almost over. 2016 is about to start. So what do we do at this time of year? We make resolutions. Anybody in here a resolution maker? You're a resolution maker? I like making resolutions. I like setting goals. Um, but one of the things that I figured out being a parent of four is that it doesn't matter what my plans are. Um, when the kids have other plans, it throws my plans out the window. But you know, the thing is, I still like making resolutions. I know that they might get thrown out the window. So, so I, I've, I've cracked the code here. I, I know exactly what I need to do. So I figured out that my youngest child will be 18 and out of the house in 2032. Okay, so 2032, that's when we will be empty nesters. And as I think about that, I'm setting resolutions for 2032, okay? Because I know that there's no point in making it for 2015. I know there's no point in making it for 2016. So, so I'm just going to go ahead and th- think ahead, 2032. Let me share with you a few, okay? I'm, Ray, I'm really excited about these, and these are going to be really great for me in 2032. Here we go. Like, I resolve to sleep past 7 a.m. That's going to happen in 2032. I resolve when getting dressed and I see a stain on my shirt to not simply smell it, shrug, and wear it anyway. 2032, I resolve to use the bathroom by myself again. And four, I resolve to never step on a Lego again. Never again will I step on a Lego. 2032, I'm looking forward to it. Why do we make resolutions? We make resolutions because we want to see some sort of improvement in our lives. We see something that we don't like, or we see some, maybe we see some sort of failure, or maybe we see something we just want to improve, but we want to make a positive step forward. That's why we make resolutions. You make a resolution to lose weight. You don't make a resolution to, you know what, I just, I just want to get fatter. You don't make that resolution. You make a resolution to eat healthier, not to eat more Cheetos. Like you make a resolution to take a positive step forward. And at this time of year, I told my wife this and she thought I was making it up because I make up a lot of things. But she, I said, you know, every time, of, every, every year at this time, I always have somebody ask me, um, is it okay to make a resolution about spiritual things, about my spiritual life. And I think the reason why people might think maybe it's not or, or maybe there's something wrong with it is, you know, you don't want to swear to God and maybe that's the same thing as making a promise to God and all this other stuff. And, and I'll tell you this, I think it's okay to make a resolution uh, uh, that, that, res- that is around your, your spiritual life and because a resolution is not a promise. What is it? It's a plan. I resolve to. This is my plan to. I'm, I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to attempt to do this. It's not a promise, but it's a plan. Like, I promise, you don't, this wouldn't be a resolution. I promise to not eat bacon in 2016. Instead, you would say, I plan on not eating bacon in 2016, which you might as well say, I plan on not really living in 2016, if that's going to be your plan. So it's a, it's a plan, not a promise. Like, I plan on preaching shorter sermons. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't. But, like, it's a... It's a plan, not a promise. And so I would caution you on two things, though. If you're going to make a resolution about your spiritual life, I, I would say don't be foolish and don't be flippant. Like, don't be foolish. Don't, don't plan on doing something you can't do. I plan on saving my family this year, right? I plan on saving this person this year. Well, you can't do that. You're not in control of that. Who's, who's, who's in control of salvation? Who's sovereign over salvation? God is. You aren't. So that's foolish. Why, why would you make that? Ris- you could say, I plan on, uh, on, on being a good witness to this person this year. I plan on loving this person in the way that I should this year. You could do that. But also don't be flippant. Remember, it's a plan, 
it's, it's a promise, excuse me, it's a plan, not a promise. That's backwards, promise, not a plan. It's back. Anyway, all right, so it's a plan, not a promise. So, so again, don't, don't be flippant with your word. Don't say, you know what, Lord? Um, I will do this this year, okay? It is going to happen this year, okay? This year, I am never gonna miss a single day without reading an entire book in the Old Testament, all right? This is gonna be it. I promise to do that. Don't be flippant with your word. It's a plan, not a promise. And so we make spiritual resolutions for the same reason that we make uh, we make resolutions for the rest of our life. We want to see a positive step forward. So you, you look at your spiritual life and you go, you know what? I want to be closer to God. I want to, I, I want to overcome this temptation. I want, the, I want to have a better prayer life. I want this to just be better. And so you make these resolutions. And, you know, as, as I was reading in, in Luke 24, I don't know why I do this. I, Darren was saying earlier as, as we think about, as he's thinking about, approaching the end of this holiday season and um and thinking about God's love for us and all this stuff when I finish Advent like when Advent's over for me and Christmas is done I don't know why but I always jump to the end of Jesus's life I I don't know why that's where my brain works but that's exactly where I go and so that's what I did as soon as Christmas was over I went to the end of Jesus's life and I was reading in Luke 24 and I saw something there that I said "Ooh, hey 2016, I want this. I want this for my life in 2016. Here's what it says, Luke 24, verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the 11, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Do you hear how they describe that, that encounter with Jesus? Their hearts burned within them. When was the last time you used that type of language when... I mean, well, maybe you were asking for Tums or something, but when was the last time you used that describing your faith? It just burned within me. I want that. I want that type of experience. I want that type of joy. I want that. That's what I want for myself in 2016. So you know what? I resolve to have a faith like that. I resolve to have this, this joy in me that's like, a, that's like a burning within my chest. I resolve to have that. That's what I want for 2016. Now, if you are like me and you say, I want that too, like sign me up, dibs, I- I'm in. If you're like me, then what do we do now? If we made this resolution, what do we do now? We just sit down and go, all right, it's gonna happen at some point. What do we do now? If you were to, if you were to let's say you got on Facebook and you saw someone, like you see these before and after pictures, you know, where someone's like, they just lost 30 pounds or 40 pounds. And they're like, it's, it was really easy. I just didn't eat for two months or whatever it is. And you, you see that. And let's say you want, you want that for yourself. You say, you know what? I want to set that goal. I resolve to lose the same amount of weight. I resolve to look like that in 2016. What would you do? You would then what? You'd have to make a plan. You'd have to take steps to get there. And if that person's your friend, what would you do? You'd contact them. You'd say, hey, you're, you lost like uh, 40 pounds or whatever. You lost a toddler off of your body. That's fantastic. How can I do the same thing? How did you do it? I want to be there. I've resolved to be there, but I, how did you do it? Well, you know, what's interesting is that these people here, these two guys who experienced this, who had this encounter that, that I want to have, and, and I want it to describe my faith, um, we can look at their encounter. We can look at that passage, and we can see what, what steps did they take? How did they get there? So that we can do the same thing in 2016. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, we're gonna start there in verse 13. 
If you don't have a Bible, you can just follow along on your smartphone. Uh, you can peek over on the person's shoulder next to you. There might be some uh, Bibles under your seats. You can use that as well. Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. <clears throat> before we read into this, or before we read this, let me give you some context here. So Jesus has been crucified. His followers have scattered um, some have gone back to work, others don't know what to do, um, they're devastated. But at this point, three days later, this is the third day, Jesus has risen from the dead. Mary and some of the other women, they've gone to the tomb, they found it empty, the angels were there, and they're like, nah, he's gone, he's risen. And so then Peter runs in there too, he doesn't see angels, he doesn't see Jesus, he doesn't see anybody. Um, and so, so that's happened, and these guys know about it. These two know about it. And so now we're going we're gonna to encounter them here in uh, verse 13. That very day, so the day of the resurrection, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So he's back, sweet. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. So they don't want to talk about it, it's too sad. Jesus is, is dead, he's gone, his body's gone, we don't know what happened to him. Look at verse 18. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that had happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. So at this point, they're not really sure, like, Jesus is who he says he is anymore. They're calling him a prophet. They're saying we were hoping he was you know, going to save us all. He's going to be the redeemer of Israel, but he's been dead for three days. And, and now they're, they're saying, we don't even know if we believe these women or not. I mean, because you know what? They, they said angels appeared. Some of us went back and they, we saw an empty tomb, but we didn't see any angels or anything. Look at verse 25. And Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's pretty awesome. So Jesus basically gives us this incredible Bible study with them where he walks through the Old Testament and points out everything it has to say about him. Look at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at a table with them, he took the bread, blessed and, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Which I think is pretty cool. He starts praying, and they're like, oh, I know who you are. And then he vanishes. Leave verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's an incredible narrative. You know, that's a narrative that I'm, I'm familiar with. I've heard sermons preached on it. I've heard songs written about it. 
it's it's a good one. I mean, it's very, it's incredible. It's an incredible story. It's a, it's an incredible thing to think about. Could you imagine being those guys? You're at this point. You're despairing. You're devastated. And then Jesus is walking with you. He spends the day with you. Starts eating with you. He prays. You recognize who he is. And then he pieces out. Like he's just gone. Right? Could you imagine how cool that would be? That experience. But there's always a question I've had. Why were their eyes closed? I don't mean they're walking around like this, but why didn't they recognize Jesus as who he says he is? It says in verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Why, why is that? And you might say, okay, Grant, you're missing the point. Jesus is alive again. Uh, he is who he says he is. Uh, these people, they, they recognize him finally, and, and they have this joy returned to them. No, 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 I don't think I'm missing the point. I think it matters because you know what? That joy they talked about in verse 32 and 34, that first, the first couple verses that we read uh, as we started, like that, that thing that I resolved, I want my life, I want my faith to look like that. I want it to be um, a, a joy that burns within my chest. It ex- that experience happened when? When their eyes were open. So it's important. It's really important. That, and so, so, what, so, so why were their eyes closed? Well, then we need to ask to answer that, we need to ask then, what opened their eyes? What opened their eyes? Well, some would say the prayer. And in fact, I've heard some uh, preachers say that before. That, you know what, um, they recognized the way he prayed. Which is nice and sentimental, but I, I, don't, I don't think that that's, that's true. I mean, you'd be correct in saying that the last thing that happened right before they recognized him was that he prayed and broke bread. Um, but I don't think that's exactly why their eyes were opened and why they have this joy. I think verse 32 tells you. What does verse 32 say? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So the key to this fresh face faith, excuse me, the key to this fresh faith, this, the key to this, this, this deep joy, right, this burning joy within them is what? It's the word. So if you want to resolve to have a faith like that, to have your faith set on fire, to have this deep joy within you, to be closer to the Lord this year than ever before, then you can't leave out the word. Jesus didn't use anything else to encourage them with or to, to strengthen their faith with. What did he use? The word. What does it say there in verse 27? Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he, he went through all of the scripture to show them, I am who I say that I am, right? To reveal to them that I am the Messiah. Your joy is safe with me. Your hope is secure with me. He used the scriptures. He used the scriptures. The key is the word, which should be no surprise to us because Jesus compares the word of God to, to bread. He says, you can't live by bread alone. You, you, you gotta have the words of God. Like, you can't live. You can't spiritually be alive without the words of God. It can't get more important than that. And what I think is interesting is Jesus' response to their weak faith. Look at verse 25. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. He rebuked them and called them foolish. Why? Because he expected them to know the word. He expected them to know what was going on because he expected them to know the word of God. Like, they've been following him. They're some of his disciples. And so he expects them to know the word. He expects the same of us. He expects us to know the word as well. He expects us to put the word in a place of priority and to a, in a place of respect in our lives. And we see that because of what the word does for us. First Thessalonians 2.13, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. 
God is at work in our lives through the word. He expects us to encounter the word of God. John 6, 63, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. God communicates the, the spirit of God works in us. His life is brought to us through what? Through his word. John 8, 31 through 32. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. How does he set us free? Through the truth. How do we get the truth? Through his word. Acts 20, 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Romans 15, 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. He does a lot in our lives through the word, so he expects us to know the word. And that's why he looks at him and he says, you foolish ones, don't you know what the word says? He expects his followers to know the word. And, and so what we can expect is that if we don't know the word, if we don't encounter the word on a regular basis, our faith will suffer. And a great example of that is these two guys. Is these two guys on the road to Emmaus. They're a great example of it. Because you know what? At this point in Luke 24, God's word, I don't think, was a priority for these two men. You say, how did you get to that? Here's how I got to that. In verse 14, it says that they're walking along and they're talking about all of these things. And then as they tell Jesus what's happening, verse 19 through 24, what do they leave out? They give him their understanding. They don't use any of the word as they talk about it. They don't use any of the word as they explain that Jesus was crucified. They don't use any of the words as they, as they explain that they had hoped that he was the Messiah. They don't use any of it. That's not what's on their mind. They're using their own reasoning, their own thinking. They're not using the word. It wasn't a priority, and Jesus calls them on that. And so these two are excellent examples of what happens to us when the word is not a priority in our lives. If you have your little handout there, you've got two columns right at the top. We're going to start there on the left. What do our lives look like without the Word of God? As believers, what does our life look like without the Word of God? When it's not a priority in our lives, what happens to us? I think the same thing that happens to them. Number one, they despaired. They despaired. Look at verse 17. And they stood still looking sad. Why? Because they had forgotten Jesus' promises. Like Jesus had told them this was going to happen. Jesus had promised he would come back. Check it out. In, in Luke 9, 22, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus gave them this roadmap. This is going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I have to be. I'll be crucified. I have to be. But then I will be raised to life and I'll be raised to life on the third day he told them what day it was and where were these two jokers on the road to Emmaus why weren't they at his tomb I would have been there right if I if, if Jesus said I'm going no, no no you won't believe it I'm going to be raised to life three days from now I'm gonna find out wherever that body is I'm gonna be sitting there at that tomb just wait just hang on a second it's gonna be awesome I don't know what's gonna happen the, the thing's gonna move or something, but Jesus is coming out of there. Maybe we need to help him out. I don't know, but let's just see. Let's see what happens, right? Where are they? They're on the road to Emmaus. Like, they're just getting out of town. They, they aren't expecting it at all. Why? 
because they didn't know the word. They didn't know his promise. They had completely forgotten his promise. And I'm just like these two when I get away from spending time in God's word. When crises hit, I don't immediately go to God's promises. Why? Because my mind isn't there. It's not in that way of thinking. My mindset isn't there. And so I jump to worry and despair. And that makes sense, right? When our minds are in a certain way, it affects, it affects the way we think when crises hit or when good things happen. Wherever our mind is, it affects that. And I, I think about my wife. She got a degree in interior design, um, and she used to work at Ethan Allen. And uh, while she was at, at Ethan Allen, she was designing um, uh, an entire home. Somebody was moving to Oregon. They bought this home, and so they wanted, to, they wanted her to do the, the entire design. So she did, and she spent a ton of time doing that, like a ton, like she did it at, at her job, but then also there was so much time, she'd come back to the apartment, and she would just be working on that stupid house, right, and I'm not even sure it's real, I haven't seen it to this day, I don't even know if Portland's a real place, I've never been there, so anyway, they have this house, whatever, but she worked on it all the time, and so that was where her mind was, and so when we go out to restaurants, what do you think she wanted to talk about? you know, this lighting isn't up to code. Um, they need to space these out a little bit more. Or you know what? In the, in, the, uh, in the parking lot, I noticed that I counted there weren't enough uh, handicapped spots. Like her mind was on building codes. Her mind was on all these other things. And, and she made for really interesting conversation. But she, like that's where her mind was. In fact, one night she, uh, my, my wife normally falls asleep before I do. And uh, she absolutely talks in her sleep. And it's fantastic. And so one night during during all this where her mind is just completely overwhelmed with work and, and, and designing and all this other stuff. One night I come to bed, I get in bed, and I wake her up kind of when I, when I sit down on the bed. And she sits up and she says, did you get the fabrics? And I was like, ah, uh, what? And she said, the fabrics. Did you get the fabrics? And her eyes are closed the whole time. I said, Angela, you're still asleep or something. You don't know where you are. You're not at work. You're home. She goes, I know where I am. Get the fabrics. And so I just went and got fabrics. I don't know. Like I left the room. I was very scared. But that's, that's where her mind was. And when I'm spending time in the word, it's transforming my mind. So by the grace of God, when things happen in my life, my mind runs to his promises. Because that's where my mind is, right? So the more time I spend in the word of God, when a money crisis hits, rather than going, oh Lord, what am I gonna do? I don't have, I don't have any money, what am I gonna do? Instead, my mind, by the grace of God, runs to Matthew 6, where Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Or So when my mind is focused on the word of God, then, then when I'm wronged or I'm the, I'm the victim of injustice, rather than sitting there going, I'm going to get you back or, or how can I make this right, my mind will run to Romans 12, 9 that says, never take revenge. Leave, to the righteous, leave it to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. But when the, when the word isn't a priority, your mind isn't there. And you're not, you're, your mind doesn't run back to his promises, and so you despair, which leads us to the second issue for them. Their wisdom was taken. Their wisdom was taken. Look at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophecies spoken. Would have been the, what would have been the wise move for them? To trust what God had revealed to them through the word and not to worry. They were despairing, and they were sad, and they were all upset. What would have been wise? To not be, to not be, to trust God and to be joyous and to be happy to know that he's in control and to know what his promises are, right? To believe the word. And I'm the same way when I'm not in the word of God. Whatever wisdom I have is gone. 
I, I begin to make foolish decisions. You know, I have a friend of mine, whenever, whenever we talk, and, and if I end up confessing sin to him, he always asks two questions. One, have you been getting enough sleep lately? And two, uh, have, you, have you been in the Word? Have you been in the Word? Why does he say that? Because if I haven't been in the Word, then I, I'm foolish. I make foolish decisions. Jesus in Matthew 7 tells a parable that I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, talking about do you, build a, a, do you build your house on the rock or do you build your house on sand? And he says, he says in verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. So when the rains come and the winds come and all that other stuff, the house stays. Like it's solid. So, so what? What does that mean? It means that when I'm listening to his word and I'm doing what it says, I'm wise. I'm making wise decisions. Isn't that what wisdom is? Knowledge applied. So when I have the knowledge of God and I apply it, I'm wise. And my life doesn't fall apart. But as soon as I'm out of the word of God, guess who's making the decisions now? Guess who the bright ideas are coming from? Me, okay? And I'll be honest, I'm a couple crayons short of a full box. I know that, okay? And so my decisions, they aren't wise. And I'm foolish, and it's like a man who builds a house on sand. Ooh, that's pretty. I want to live next to the ocean. Bam, and now your house is gone, okay? And so that's exactly what he says. You can't obey what you don't know. And it's like I said in the first point. If your mind isn't focused on God... You won't even think of his commands. Your mind won't even run to his wisdom. It'll stay with your foolishness. Which leads to the third issue without the word of God. Their faith was weak. What did they say in verse 19 through 20? They said Jesus was a great prophet. They didn't call him the Messiah. They said he's a great prophet. We had hoped he was who he said he was. They were doubting Jesus was who he said he was. And you know what? That absolutely happens to all of us. When we are out of the word, then it's harder to trust that he's got your back. When we're out of the word, then it's harder to trust that he'll provide. When you're out of the word, spending that time with him, it's harder to trust that he even cares about you, that he loves you. Why? Because we don't know him as well. And when we don't, someone we don't know, it's hard, to, it's hard to trust them. The word reveals God to us. It reveals Jesus to us. And the less we know about somebody, it's hard to trust them. That's common sense. If I were, my wife's at home right now, my, uh, my youngest is, is sick, my, our baby is sick, and um, so she's at home right now, but uh, my sister's here from out of town, what's up Amanda? All right, good talk. So if, if Angela called and said, hey look, I'm going to come up to the church, um, I need your, your wallet uh, because money or whatever, and so I've got, wallet, I've got my wallet and I have some cash in it because it was just Christmas, that was like the only time of year I have cash in it, so I, I have my wallet and I said, great, but I got to go. Um, could I leave it with somebody? I'd leave it with my sister. I know my sister. I, I, I know her really well. I've known her for most of her life, okay? I think I, I know her really well. Um, but you know what? I met someone new today. I met you today for the first time. We've got a Marine here uh, stationed in Hawaii. So, you know, he's suffering for Jesus. But anyway, so he's in Hawaii. I just met you today. I just shook your hand for the first day. You look really um, uh, trustworthy and also very scary. But... I wouldn't leave you my wallet. I'm sorry, you look really trustworthy. I don't know you, right? I don't know you. I, I don't know. You might say, all right, and I'm back to Hawaii now, right? And I've got all of Grant's $20. I've got all of it. Like, I'm sorry, it would be foolish, wouldn't it? I don't know him, but I know my sister. I would leave it with her. And so in the same way, like, the more time we spend in the Word, it's the way easier it is to trust the Lord because I know him better. Like, I'm spending more time with him. And when we're in the Word of God, we, we can see him more and we can trust him. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through what? The word of Christ. Like our faith is strengthened through the word of God, and that makes sense. 
That's not rocket science. The more I get to know him and I get to know his heart and I get to know his care for me, the more I'll trust him, right? So his word strengthens our faith, which leads us to the fourth problem of not having the word in our life. Their vision for God was gone. Isn't this incredible? This is incredible. <coughs> They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about his death. They're talking about, is he really alive again? And Jesus walks up right next to him and goes, what you doing? What's up? What you talking about? And they go, I, all right, weirdo. I don't know. Haven't you heard? Are you, what's wrong with you? Haven't you heard about what happened with, with Jesus? Like, and they don't realize that the word, uh, that, that God is right there next to him. And so I think it's because they didn't know the word. They didn't know what the word said about him. And so they didn't recognize him. They didn't see him. And one of my favorite verses in all of scripture is Matthew 5, 8. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I love that. He's saying truly happy are those who are singly focused, singly focused on me. And how, we, how do we stay focused on God? On his word, are singly focused on me because what? They'll see me everywhere. For they will see God. They will see me at work everywhere. And when the word is not a priority for me, my faith becomes weakened and my mind is not being renewed and the spiritual world around me disappears and the, only the secular remains. Is that true for anybody else? When you're out of the word of God, my vision for God is blurred and the, secular, the, the spiritual world is gone and only the secular remains. Let me give you an example. Someone with a need in front of me, when I'm not in the word now, they are an inconvenience or they are another worry to put on my plate rather than a divinely placed opportunity. Or, or someone, a, a need is met in my life. When I'm not in the word of God, again, that spiritual world is removed. So, so instead of it being a wonderful gift from my heavenly father, now it's just a happy coincidence. Oh, that's awesome. I found that money. I needed it. So, or a tragedy is just chaos and no good can come of it. There's no control there. Rather than the truth is that God is on his throne and nothing takes him off of it. And so, so again, when we stay out of the word of God, we don't see him. We don't see him. The spiritual world is gone, and the secular world is there. I recently was talking with someone, and they were talking about a, a crisis they were dealing with. Um, I think it was at work. They were dealing with a personal problem with somebody, but I think it was at work. I'm trying to remember exactly. But, but the thing that struck me about it was that as they were describing this crisis they were having, um, you know, uh, immediately to me, I was like, oh, no, you've, are you kidding me? You've been such a, you've been such a, uh, uh, used by God in such a crazy way at work. This is an enemy coming after you. Are you kidding me? No, this isn't, that dude's not your problem. Your problem's the enemy's coming after you. And this guy had been so stressed out and so busy, he hadn't been in the word of God. And so guess what? He had never thought about that. Well, I'm not smarter than him. What happened? The spiritual world disappears when we stay away from the word of God. Our vision for God goes, it blurs without the word of God. We can't see him. So we need to see him. So fifthly, they were unable to encourage one another. Verse 14, so they were talking to one another. And in verse 16, what does it say? They were both sad. They couldn't help each other. They couldn't encourage one another. Because um, they didn't, what encouragement did they have? They didn't have it. They didn't have what the word said. You know, in college, um, we had to do these service projects for this, this organization I was a part of. And one of the service projects that we got to do was we went to a nursing home that was near the campus. And uh, I loved visiting the nursing home. There were a lot of people there that I really liked and had some relationships with. And there was one room of these two men um, that I did not like going into. And the reason why was, do you know Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? You know Eeyore? All right, so... Eeyore, if he was a person, times two were these two guys. And you know what like a one-upper is, right? 
someone tells a story and someone wants to tell a better story, they were one downers. Like one of them would say something sad and then one of them would say something sadder, you know, until they could just out-sad each other, you know. One of them's like, yeah, my eyes, you know, sometimes if I, if I blink a certain way, my left eye loses vision. The other one would be like, oh, yeah, well, sometimes my left eye falls out at night, right? Like it was just, it was just sad, 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 sad. And eventually, eventually, they, like, they separated them because they just made each other sad all the time. They didn't have any encouragement. They just had despair. It's all they had to give each other. What do I have to give you without the encouragement of the Word of God? What do I have to give you? Like empty platitudes. I'm thinking about you. I don't care. You know, like think about, I don't care. Think about something else. Pray for me, okay? Like, like help me. And so what did they have to offer one another? Nothing. Just despair. They didn't have the word of God. Um, and so in the same way, we have a responsibility to encourage one another. Hebrews 3.13 tells us that. Every day, we're to encourage one another. We have a responsibility. But if we aren't in the word of God, if we don't have the joy of God, what do I have to give you? I have my problems to give you. Does that help you? Does that encourage you? If I don't have the word of God, I don't have his joy, all I've got is my problems. Oh, that's really sad about what's happening with you. Here's my problems. Do you feel encouraged? No. What do we have to offer each other? And so these people were not in a good place. And Jesus rightly diagnosed it as what? You don't have the word. There's a word deficiency here. So what happened when they encountered the word again? One, their joy returned. What did they do? What did they do after they realized it was Jesus? They took off back to the other 11. And they said, it is true. He is alive. Their joy was back. Um, and why did their joy return? Because they, told, they, they heard the truth from Jesus. They heard the word, they heard the truth, and their joy returned. I love Jeremiah 15, 16. It says, when your words came, I ate them, and they were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I love that. Their joy was restored. The second thing, they were made wise again. They were made wise. Verse 34 says, the Lord has risen indeed. Instead of despairing, they believed what God had said about himself in the scriptures, and they trusted him. And they weren't, they weren't despairing. They were hopeful. That's wise. Their wisdom returned. Their faith was strengthened. And, and so again, they said, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Their conviction was now solidified about who Jesus was. And that's what the word does. It strengthens our faith. Psalm 1 says, verse 3 says, the man who delights in the law of the Lord will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its seasons and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. That's, that's a strong, unmovable faith. And that's what the word does. And fourthly, they saw Jesus. What happened? He broke their bread, he prayed, and then they went, oh, hey, I know you, you're Jesus, right? So they recognized Jesus. The word transforms your mind and allows you to see God at work all around you. The word does that. And fifthly, they encouraged others. What did they do? They ran back to the others and told them, Jesus is alive. He was encouraging. They were encouraging to others. They had something encouraging to say now, not just, well, I don't know, everything's bad. They had something encouraging to say, so they encouraged others. Jesus is alive. So if we want to resolve to move closer to Jesus this year, we need the word in a major way. And you might say, you know what, Grant? I got like a word. Got it. I've tried the word before. You know, uh, uh, give me something new. That's old. Out with the old, in with the new. And I am all about out with the old, in with the new. Like, I'm not a pack rat. I don't know if you are. My father-in-law, I love him very dearly. He keeps everything, okay? He keeps everything. When we had our first child, he, he gave us, like, he was like, here's all of 
your wife's toys when she was uh, a newborn. And literally, he had it. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. He literally gave us all this stuff. And then we were like, uh, we don't uh, want that. And then he goes, okay, we'll give it back. So he still has it. Like, that's his thing. Like, he doesn't throw away anything at all. I am not that way. We haven't used it in a week. Throw it away. But it's the dishwasher. I don't care. We'll get another one. Throw it away. We haven't used it, okay? Like, I am not that. So I'm all about out with the old, in with the new. But you know what? The Word of God might be familiar to you, but it's not old. Because nothing eternal can be old. And it's eternal. First Peter 1 says it will, endure, it will endure forever. Hebrews 4 says it's alive and it's active. So it can't be old. It's eternal. It can't ever be irrelevant. It can't be outdated. It can't be unhelpful. It can't be, uh, it can't be old. You can't throw it out. That would be, that'd be ridiculous because it's not old. It's eternal. But what can we throw out? Well, what we can throw out, making a resolution, for example, making a resolution to eat better, what do you have to throw out? Well, you throw out your Twinkies, but then you also throw out what? You throw out a, a mentality surrounded on, on how you choose your food. Like maybe your mentality before is if it, if it fries, if it's fries, I have to eat it. Okay, like whatever is fried, I will eat it. And if it's not fried, I will not eat it. All right, if it's green, um, but not artificially green and sour, I'm describing Skittles now, then I won't eat it, okay? Like, I, I don't want it. You have to change your mentality on how you select your food and more power to you. And so what can, what can we do to throw out? What can we throw out um, to, to help us keep the word a priority? I think we've got to throw out some improper mentalities when it comes to the way we think about the word of God. So real quick, here's how we'll close. Let me give those to you. One, throw out that luxury mentality. What did you eat for Christmas? Like Christmas Day, when you were with your family, what'd you eat? We went to my parents' house last night. They had food on every space on the counter in the kitchen. Then in the, their breakfast room, like that table was covered in food. And then they were just like, they made my kids carry trays of food. Like there was just food everywhere. You're like whatever you like, you've got it. Um, not in Jesus' time, not in Jesus' time. So when he said the word is your bread, that's not a, when you feel like bread, you should pick it up. He was saying, if you feel like staying alive, you should pick it up. Like, that's, that's what you've got. That's bread right there. Nothing could be more important to it. So that means that you make time for it. I make time to eat. Like, I don't, I don't have a lot of set appointments throughout the week. I will eat, okay? I will eat in the, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. I will eat. And I will make time to do that. In the same way, the word is not a luxury item. It's a priority. If you want to stay alive, you eat it. And so you make time for it. Do you make time for the word? The second mentality we got throughout is our meal mentality. I have to eat it all mentality. You know, like I've got to get all of this in. The word is a lifetime supply of bread, not just a single sitting. So slow down and eat until you're full. Sometimes for me, that's, that's a full chapter, several chapters of the Bible. Sometimes it's one verse that I've just got to chew on. And I just go, wow. I gotta do something about that one. That one is, that one's right in my face. That's what I needed to hear today. It's a meal. Eat it at your pace. If you go to eat, um, well, there's certain people in my life, my grandmother's one of them, I love her very dearly. You go out to a restaurant with her, bring a book because she will not finish before the next meal is served, okay? Like that's just, that's her pace. In the same way, the word of God's the same for you. Eat at your own pace. Uh, throw out the school mentality. The only books I read growing up were books required to be read, you know, like by the school. So uh, 19, what is it, 1984? Is that the George Orwell book? 89, 84, 81, 84. Awesome, good year. Okay, so anyway, 
I was born that year. I should probably remember it. Anyway, so, uh, like, I read that. We read The Time Machine. We read um, a lot of Cliff Notes. We read, like, a lot of things. And I only read things because I had to read them. And I read it to check it off the list. I didn't want to lie. I didn't want to sit in class and go, yeah, I read it. Uh, so I, I just want to read it to check it off the list. Words, my eyes saw the words, my brain processed something, and it's gone. Okay, I would just read it and check it off the list. The only, and, and we need to throw that mentality out. Like, when we read the word, we're not reading it to check it off our list because you made it a priority. Okay, excellent. You made it a priority. We don't just read it just to check off the priority. We read it for life change, which means what? It means it requires obedience. It requires us to allow it to change us. So when I read that love is patient, that needs to change the way I deal with people who get on my nerves. When it says that love is not irritable, that means it changes the way I deal with people who, yes, still get on my nerves. When it says that love is kind, it changes the way I interact with people. Like the, the word requires obedience. Uh, we need to throw out the, the cat mentality, cat mentality. And what I mean by that is you've heard the phrase, there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's also more than one way to interact with God's word. You know, I get bored with things really easily. Um, I, I'm really bored right now with the sermon. No, I'm just kidding. No, I get bored with things really easily. And that can also mean the way that I interact with the word can get boring to me. And so what's wonderful is that the Lord's provided multiple ways for us to interact with his word. Some, sometimes I use apps on my phone. Uh, sometimes I use uh, a version. There's devotional apps in there. Uh, there's a new Bible app called New Bible, N-E-U-E Bible. I love it. Uh, there's devotionals I use. There's an audio Bible that I listen to. Uh, there's uh, there's paper, bi- paper Bibles I have, study Bible, regular Bible. They're reading plans. But how do you interact with the Word? Because the Lord's provided a ton of different ways. So if you go, you know what, this is stale, I don't know. Like, the Word isn't stale. But you, maybe you need to change the way you interact with it. So, so try something else. Throw out the cat mentality. Um, the secret mentality. It should be shared. One of the most encouraging things, one of the things that inspires me to get in the Word more than anything is talking about it with other people. When I have conversations with other people and they talk to me about what God has shown them in the Word of God, that just lights me up. That makes me, I got, I got to go read that. Okay, like I got to get in there. That's incredible, right? And isn't that true for you as well? When you get to talking to somebody about the Word of God and they share something with you that's like an incredible something that God showed them or, or whatever, doesn't that make you just go, wow, the Bible's legit. Like I need to get in that in the same way, in the same way. We need to throw out that secret mentality um, and we need to share it. We need to have those conversations. Do you have those conversations? Do you have friends like that? And you might have friends like that, you just never started those conversations. Can I tell you this? We had a, a middle school student, one of my volunteers showed me a, a text from one of his middle school students. One of his middle school students heard us say something like this at some point, that you need to be talking the word of God with other people. So you know what he did? No one else did this for him, so he just started, when he read a scripture that was cool to him, he would just text it to people. He would just like text it to his friends. It's a middle schooler. He would just go, oh, Okay, so he texts it to somebody. He goes, I need to start having these conversations. No one else is starting them. I guess I will. So when he saw a cool verse, he would just text it to somebody. How cool is that? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a great mentality? In the same way, like the word of God is to be shared. What an encouraging thing. If I got a text from a middle schooler that was like, yeah, this verse is awesome, I'd be like, okay, I need to get in the word more. Okay, like this middle schooler sent me this verse. It's awesome. And the last one, we need to throw out the category mentality. Don't compartmentalize it. It speaks to every corner of your life. We see in 2 Timothy 
three sixteen through 17. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word should affect you as a church member, 100% agree. But also, it should affect you as a parent. It should affect you as a spouse. It should affect the way you speak to your children. It should affect you as a coworker, as an employee, as a boss. It should affect the way you are a neighbor, the way you are a friend, and even the way you are an enemy of somebody. The word affects every corner of your life. So I want to close with, with something very unexpected from this passage. Look at verse 19. And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They told Jesus to his face, they doubted him. Now, they didn't know it was Jesus. That's not Jesus' fault. That's their fault. But they told Jesus to his face, I guess Jesus wasn't who he said he was. Now, if you are Jesus in that moment, what do you do? You better be thankful I'm not Jesus because I would just, and you're on fire, right? Like, how insulting is that? He just died for them. He's back from the dead, and they just, they just showed him, and we're very honest. We just, I don't know. We don't know if Jesus is who he says he is. What was Jesus' response? Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures as things concerning himself. He met with them in the scriptures. That's what he did. Is your faith, is it weak? Is it beaten down right now? Have you not made the word a priority? What we see is that Jesus' response to you is not anger. It's not to shy away from you. It's not to punish you. His response is, if you will come to my word, I'll meet with you. But I've been gone a long time. I mean, I have never really made reading the word a priority Jesus is saying, I, I, I'm not trying to kick you while you're down. You come to the word, I'll meet with you there. That's incredible. What an incredible invitation. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, <coughs> as we look forward to 2016, I think for, for all my brothers and sisters in this room, our resolution is probably the same, that we want to be closer to you. We want to have that burning joy within us. We want that solid faith. Um, Lord, help us not to look at your word as the old. We need to throw that out. We need to find a new way to interact with you. But no, no, no. Like, the word is it. And God, I, I know that there are people in this room who feel guilty about how they've neglected spending time in your word. Um, I'm one of them. I'm absolutely one of them. Lord, in periods of my life in 2015, some very long periods of my life in 2015 where the word was something I picked up when I had to, it wasn't a priority. I, Lord, there's, I feel guilt over that. <clears throat> but Lord, may your example on the road to Emmaus um, bring us peace. That your response to the ones who neglected what you said about yourself and literally looked you in the face and said, we're not sure Jesus is who he says he is. Your loving response of meeting them in the word is the same response you have for us. No matter who we are, no matter where we've come from, your response is the same. I'll meet with you. Meet me in the word. I'll meet with you. <clears throat> so Lord, help us respond however we need to. 
<clears throat> some of us, Lord, in this room, uh, we need to confess some things. I don't know. We need to get some things off our chest, get them out of the way. Um, as 2015 winds to a close. Some of us, Lord, in this room, maybe we need to surrender our lives to you for the first time. Like really surrender this time. Really follow you. Not play the game, but trust you. Say, I know you died on the cross for me. I know you, ra you were raised to life. So Lord, forgive me. Give me a new life. Some people need to do that this morning. So Lord, would you give us the courage to respond however we need to. We love you. It's in your name. Would you stand with me?